It would be totally remiss of me if I did not take just a moment to say thank you for the invitation to allow uh, Janet and, and me to be with you today. It's been a most enjoyable experience for us. Uh, we appreciate that we got to know the swans today and appreciate them very much. And uh, it's just, uh, my, my daddy used to have a saying, what's a good deal for everybody is a real good deal. <laughs> and I think this is a real good deal, at least for us. One way that, a good way to learn is by asking questions. And we know that children go through that why stage. Jesus was real good at answering questions both by, uh, from his disciples as well as his enemies. And he was able to ask a few pertinent questions himself. Well, tonight, as we conclude our little mini-series, uh, we're going to discuss questions asked and answered as they relate to forgiveness. Now, this morning in the class... We studied if you do not forgive, and then we dealt with the hardest thing in the world to do, and I believe that that is, to genuinely forgive from the heart. Tonight, we're going to deal with various questions as it relates to forgiveness. And the very first question that I think needs to be asked is, what do the scriptures say? That's the place to begin, is it not? And uh, I have a plethora of scripture. And if uh, I would advise you, if you would like to have a good uh, gathering of many passages, that you would take down at least the citations. Because I'm going to give you several, without commenting a whole lot, passages <clears throat> that are encouraging us to forgive. The very first one is Matthew 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And mercy has to do with, of course, forgiveness in our text. The next one is Matthew chapter 6. And this is the passage that we used as our text for our class this morning. And we recognize that it is a part of the of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Verse 12 says, Jesus, of course, speaking, if, he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or those who trespass against us, depending on your uh, translation. <clears throat> and as I pointed out, this is the only thing that Jesus commented on uh, in that entire prayer. And so, in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then in verse 15, But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. In Matthew 18, we find Peter coming to Jesus, and he says, uh, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against men? I forgive him until seven times. In verse 22, Jesus answered, I do not say until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then comes a parable 
where there was a, a man who owed a king a large sum of money. It could be uh, thought of as maybe $10 million. And uh, he begged for mercy, forgiveness, as it were, of that debt, and uh, that was extended. But he turned around, and a man who owed him a lot less, uh, he did not forgive him. And uh, verse 32 to 34 gives the king's reaction upon being told, Then he summoned him, and his lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. But, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him, oh, uh, should you not, I missed verse 33, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he could repay all that was owed him. Then comes Mark 11, 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Then comes Mark, or rather, pardon me, Luke 6, verses 36 and 37. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And do not pass judgment, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you shall not be condemned. Pardon, the NIV says, forgive, and you will be pardoned. Then comes Ephesians 4. And the next two passages, passages we used as our co-texts for this morning's sermon. But we're trying to, to bring all of this together so that you will have it. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness... And wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, compassionate, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And then comes Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also, uh, you, uh, so, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity." And the last passage is James 2 and verse 13. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I know that's just a whole lot of, of Scripture, but at least you can see from this block of Scripture, the truth of the matter is that if we want forgiveness from God, we are going to have to cultivate a forgiving spirit. Now, it's interesting to me that in the churches of Christ, if I mention Acts 2, verse 38, most of us can quote that passage. And we're very strong on that passage. And we don't understand why much of the denominational world can't get it concerning baptism. 
Because that passage plainly says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness or remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It could not be any plainer than that. But brethren, I don't see how it could be any plainer what we have just seen from Scripture. The fact that we need to forgive in order to be forgiven. Now we can see the one, but why is it that we're having a hard time seeing the other? Now my sermon is questions asked and answered concerning forgiveness. The first question was, what do the scriptures say? The second question that I'll be dealing with is, what is involved And just how do we instigate genuine forgiveness? It's going to have to begin with a change of heart. And that will be only done properly when we have educated our hearts properly. And that's what we're trying to do in the series uh, today. And that is our hearts need to be converted. To attempt something without changing the heart is to, I'm afraid, ask for problems, emotionally even. Because here we're trying to do something and the heart isn't allowing us to do it. We must be genuine. I'm not asking anyone to be hypocritical. Although at times we must determine that we're going to act in ways we do not necessarily feel 100%. Have you ever realized that sometimes, and I'm not saying be hypocritical now, but you have to, it's like being enthusiastic. Have you been around someone that's enthusiastic? Do you think that they are just always bubbly and enthusiastic? No, sometimes you act yourself into being that way. And saying, I want to be that kind of a person, and and that is my goal. Well, I want to be a loving, gentle person. It so happens, don't talk to my wife on this one, that I'm not always the most gentle person. I, I, I tend to be reactionary. Can you believe that? I mean, something happens, and I can, oh, I'm reactionary. And I pray about this, because I am not by nature a... A reserved, kind, gentle person. And yet, I want to be more that way. And so, that's what I'm saying. I, I believe that we need to begin to pray about it. We need, we need to allow God's Word to have its, its effect on our heart. Study these scriptures out. Pray about it. And the heart will begin to change. And that's, the, that's where we start. I mentioned prayer, and that's my next sub-point, and that is we ask divine help, admit that we need for God to soften our heart and mold us into the image of His Son. And there's a passage of Scripture that is just among my favorite. Are you supposed to have favorites? I think we all do. I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I have a whole sermon that I have preached on this, but I love this passage of Scripture. 
And really what it's saying is that we need to be transformed into the image of Christ. But let me read this. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And so how are we going to be more forgiving? I believe that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Stay with me here. And look at him and see what he did. And ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. Yes, I do believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that uh, he is a part of the Godhead, but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And ask God and his Spirit to work on us. Pray, pray that the Lord will help us. The main thing that moves us is to be sure that we are pure of heart, we have no ulterior motives, and we want God's will to be done in our lives. Number three, get out or determine you're going to get out of the revenge business. We've talked about this uh, before today, but the attitude, I just want to hurt him until he hurts like I hurt. I'm telling you, that attitude will never Develop a forgiving spirit. I've said before today, revenge is God's business. I've referred in both of the other lessons to Romans 12, verse 19. And if you don't have that uh, perhaps underlined in your Bible or at least zeroed in on in your mind, you need to. And I'm going to now read it in its entirety as it appears in the New American Standard Translation. Never take... What? Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then lastly, begin to act on your good intentions. Be the first, if you can, to extend a hand and say, I forgive you. I wasn't entirely, uh, if you wasn't entirely in the right, you confess your faults to that situation also. Because you know what I found? Generally it takes two, and generally you're not just 100% uh, not involved in that. Now, that's not always the case. Uh, Do good to the people. Speak well of them. You know, James 5, verse 9, I know it's King James, but it says grudge not. And, uh, and we need to not hold those grudges. But now then we come to the biggie. A question that I have heard debated. A question I have been asked and I've wondered about. And that's the question. What if they don't ask for forgiveness? You may not like this next statement. Forgiveness does not depend on the behavior or the repentance of the one who hurt us. Forgiveness is a personal choice. We can choose to forgive at any time. 
And I'm suggesting we must not wait until another person will say, I'm sorry. If you do that, that will probably never happen. Not until or unless they have a lot of Jesus in their heart, and that generally is not the case. So determine that you're going to unconditionally, regardless of the other person, forgive at the, to the extent that you are, are getting out of the revenge business. Now, you're saying, I don't know as I agree with that, but I now present to you several biblical examples to tell you why I believe, and I'm teaching now, that forgiveness does not depend on the behavior or the repentance of the person that needs to be forgiven. The first example is Esau. Do you remember what Jacob had done to Esau? He had stolen his birthright by treachery. And you remember the story, and I don't have time to go into it. And here we are 20 years later, and granted, Jacob is afraid of his brother. And he is sending uh, uh, flocks and herds and all that as appeasement. But the point that I think we need to make here is Esau forgives Jacob and Jacob has not asked for that forgiveness. You study it out, you'll see that's true. I go to another example, Joseph. We used that, this example before and we know again what happened there, his brothers uh, they thought that he was an, an ego snob, and he probably was. I mean, you think back of how he was bragging to them about how he got, had these dreams and all that. I, I really think probably he, at least he came across that way. And they had sold him into slavery, and this was very cruel, and they didn't care what happened to him. But when he had the upper hand and those brothers come, we have no indication that they're going, uh, we are so sorry. They were, they were afraid for their life when they found out that it was jo Joseph. They were afraid for their life, but they weren't saying, oh, we were so wrong. They, we have nothing that, for them to, uh, to indicate that they were, uh, were uh, penitent about that. David forgave Saul, even while Saul was trying to uh, hunt him down like a, like a wild animal. And yet David forgave Saul. Jesus, and this is the greatest of the examples, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's hanging on the cross. Were those Romans penitent? They were the ones crucifying him. They didn't ask for forgiveness. And in Acts chapter 7, we find uh, Stephen uh, echoes the same sentiment as he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. With that said, I believe that we can successfully state that forgiveness is a deliberate, rational act that is not an emotional reflex. We must shoulder the hurt. We must bury the hatchet, but don't leave the handle sticking out. We must 
determine I am getting out of the, uh, the revenge business. And so forgiveness is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. Now, sometimes we have to keep on reminding ourselves that we have forgiven something. I'm now going to tell you a true story. I say a very true story. It's in print. And it will pull at your heartstrings. And it shows us that forgiveness is not something that should be taken lightly or without deep thought. A man by the name of Simon Weisenthal was a Jew who survived Nazi Germany's concentration camp, but not without uh, a lot of emotional scars. It is in print that he lost 89 members of his family to the Nazi murderers. According to the revised and expanded edition of the book, The Sunflower, if you want to look that up, The Sunflower, by Weisenthal himself. In 1943, Weisenthal, while still imprisoned, was brought into the room of a dying German soldier to listen to his deathbed confession. He sat quietly and he listened as the Nazi described atrocious acts against the Jews. He described how in one place there were over 150 Jews and he set fire to the place and those, as they ran out, he shot and killed them. And he grabbed Weisenthal's hand as he was confessing this. And then, with tears, he asked Weisenthal to please forgive him. Weisenthal <clears throat> rose and walked out of the room. Holding his silence and withholding the begged for forgiveness. Later, he was troubled by this whole thing and he sought advice from his friends and former fellow prisoners. Sadly, most of them agreed that he should not have forgiven that German soldier. I guess the question is, what would you do? There was one Jew, Weisenthal, who would not forgive. But aren't we thankful that there is another Jew, Jesus Christ, who does forgive? So, question. What if they do not ask for forgiveness? We still are under obligation to forgive and live it, leave it to God, as hard as that may seem to be. The last question. To forgive or not, what are the consequences? And I'm dealing with some of what we're talking about right now in some of my counseling in Oklahoma City. An unforgiving spirit 
causes divorce, robs those of close relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, even our own family. It alienates, divides, and destroys families, churches, and friendships. It keeps us from enjoying fellowship with everyone. All of those are consequences, real consequences, of not forgiving. On the other hand, forgiveness brings joy, happiness, peace, and spiritual contentment. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. My closing admonition is, why not choose forgiveness? Why not choose the good life? Why not choose joy, happiness, peace, and spiritual contentment? Why not choose unity and to be forgiven? Forgiveness ends the cycle. No, it doesn't answer all the questions concerning blame and justice and fairness. To the contrary, it often evades them altogether. But it does allow the relationship to start over or at least remove the animosity. A fable is something, a story... That could never really happen, but it has a truth that hopefully you will never forget. And I'm going to now end my lesson with the fable of the sand and stone as sent to me by a former Oklahoma Christian classmate. Two friends were walking through the desert at some point of the journey, they had an argument, and one friend slapped the other one right on the face. The one who got slapped was hurt, but without saying anything, wrote in the sand, Today my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept on walking until they found an oasis where they decided to take a bath. The one who got slapped got stuck in the mire and started drowning, but the friend uh, saved him. And After he recovered from the near drowning, he wrote in a stone, Today my best friend saved my life. The friend who had slapped and saved his best friend asked him, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you write on stone. Why? The friend replied, When someone hurts us, we should write it down in the sand where winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone so that no wind can ever erase it. And so the lesson? Learn to write your hurts in the sand and carve your benefits in stone.
Is there someone in the audience tonight who would benefit from prayers of genuine brothers and sisters and who would want to acknowledge that need before us tonight? Perhaps you have other needs. If you are subject to this invitation, we're going to have an invitation song now, and we would invite you to come while together we stand and while we sing.